Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Treehouse, Saps Rising, with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper, the woman who invented jazz. Episode 5, the woman who invented jazz. <laughs> I do apologise uh, up to a point, Peps. I, I foist these introductions on you and, uh, uh, you know, sometimes they, they seem a little vainglorious. Very good morning to everybody. Well, morning. here we go again. Another 45-ish minutes of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. But uh, uh, that's Louise Pepper on mm. the other side of the table. I'll tell you what's uh, taken off, because we, we never know. OK, what the uh, hits are. Yeah, on the um, the knife and fork drawer thing seems oh, to be tremendous. Honestly, is that on Instagram? This is what happened the last time we did it. Mm. It's gone. Oh, that's good. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Don't use the pain face. How many podcasts that it would? You know, they get they get three responses. Got or oh, a hit, uh, <laughs> and we've been snowed under with people suggesting how all civilized no, people they all arrange think their... I'm wrong, so that's why I just well, because you are, as, as we know in that. It's really not. It's how you lay out the cutlery. Civilized people. Well, you you actually added to the brew and indeed brew haha by um, uh, putting your uh, medicine drawer up, um, which was uh, a shambles, to be absolutely me? honest. No. It was it, a shambles. It's a medicine it was absolute, cabinet, yeah. if you please. It is a whole wall of, of uh, our downstairs loo. Is all. No, mine's been reorganised. Then someone else joined in and showed me the hell that was their medicine cabinet, where uh, I think if you took out two aspirin, the whole wall would come down. Yeah. Oh, no, mine is a thing of beauty. <laughs> I could run a pharmacy out of my downstairs There is, loo. yeah, there's a... Uh, and yet there's never enough norepinephrine, is there? No. There's, <laughs> I think I've only it, ever touched... It, when I sent my husband downstairs at one o'clock this morning to find cough medicine and he came back with three out-of-date bottles. It's not that well stopped. Oh, that's, a, that's an exciting game to play in the dark <laughs> at Christmas if, you, if, you, you, if you, your TV set has gone down. Uh, turn out the lights and play expiration date grab bag and you, you put everything... And you go in there and whatever you pull out, you've got to eat. It's a tremendous game to have at Christmas. So a very, very uh, uh, good morning to everybody. There's plenty to be uh, getting on with. We've got uh, mm. so much of a backlog from you. But as usual, we, we must um, uh, we, we must address some of the uh, uh, matters of great pith and moment. And uh, so today, apart from uh, so, it's Emily, Emily Dickinson was born. Oh, uh, poet. Yes. Okay. Of course, uh, I, I say that with a Christian hat. You know, all I know about Emily Dickinson, and forgive me here, I don't. It's not. I'm not. Um, Paul Ross. Paul Ross knows every poet. Oh, whoever yes. he won mastermind on Ezra Pound. <laughs> Which I don't even know Ezra Pound is actually a poet, but he he um uh, he uh, has never been my thing apart from nonsense poetry and musical monologues, which I, as you know, I can. Mm. Uh, but Emily Dickinson, I only know because of a Woody Allen's one of Woody Allen's prose, one, one of his books uh, in the seventies was called Without Feathers. I had no idea what that could possibly mean. It was only later on I realised Emily Dickinson' most famous poem is Hope Is the Thing with Feathers. Oh, okay. Which no, any it, idea yes, what, gonna, what, yes, what, what that might? What that? No, but what that might? I'm, I'm not generally not playing a thick ear. We're not a thick ear show. But hope is the thing with feathers. It sits like in a, a, it, what a bird. Yes, it sits in the soul. It's all. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's a very short thing and ends up yet never in extremity. It asked a crumb of me. Now, if I'd have handed that in at eleven, I think the teacher would have said this last line. <laughs> yet never in extremity. That's good. It asked never a crumb of me. 
Look, you know, when the bus was coming to my stop. What can I tell you? <laughs> anyway, uh, happy birthday, Emily Dickinson, uh, mm. 1830. It's unlikely she's listening. But the, the, don't bog me down in Woody Allen books here, uh, Peps. Uh, Cuba. Yes. Cuban Independence Day today. They oh, be- is it? Oh, OK. They became independent of Spain today in the 1890s. I was so. about to ask who of. Yeah, if, you know, it was Spanish, yeah. Mm, of course. course. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Spanish. And, and there are a million laughs over there to Cubans. I've never been there. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever been there. Um, Haven't they all got fancy old Cadillacs or something? Well, isn't, that the, the, isn't that the thing? It used to be, but they... I've just summed up a whole country. No, you, you're quite right, cars. because it is. It is the most mysterious place in the world where nobody's ever been. Uh, the uh, thing about Cuba, it's, it's shrouded in mist, or am I thinking of Brigadoon? I think I'm thinking of Brigadoon. Anyway, Cuba, uh, uh, it, it's got a hummingbird on it oh. that's only indigenous to Cuba. And they're and little tiny, It's the they, tiny. It's the tiniest of hummingbirds. It's called the bee hummingbird oh. because... Uh, it's the size of a bee, oh. uh, uh, which is sweet. Are they sure it's not a bee that looks a bit like a if, if only we could send people to Cuba, but they, they won't let you in. Uh, everyone I know who's been to Cuba, by the way, has had food poisoning, which I know is a terrible thing to say. But they really We've have. really I, sold I, Cuba I, here, haven't we? I, I, no, I'm all, I'm all about Cuba. Fancy in... cars and food poisoning. <laughs> We should branch out into a travel podcast. <laughs> that's what that's what Fidel would have had in mind. But uh, anyway, this this hummingbird, mm. this tiny little hummingbird, uh, it um uh, it's the size of a bee, and it flaps its wings fifty times a second, fifty plus times. I'm not buying that. I'm not buying that. The, the, the hummingbirds I know flap their wings a lot, but I don't know what they're trying to pull with saying you can't flap it fifty times a second. It's not. So look, hang on. 50 times you've, no. you couldn't do that. Yeah, you go online, anyone wants to go online and put Cuban hummingbird, and all hummingbirds do it. I'm not buying it. I know, I know plainly these days. I'm we, wiggling my finger, is it? <laughs> we, these days we have to accept, we have to accept that hummingbirds do that. Because, you, you know, thank God we're not in those days we could go around bad mouthing hummingbirds. Can't do that anymore. But that's not political correctness gone mad. It's a healthy scepticism. That a hummingbird could flap its wings fifty times in a second. So you think they're putting it out there that that's what they do? No, they're not putting it out. Hummingbird it's, conspiracy. It's, it's right up there in David Attenborough's top ten things he likes to startle people with. Anyway, uh, we have to accept it. But uh, you know, mm. the Marxist-Leninist state of Cuba, which it is, uh, may be just trying to hide behind that, okay. that smokescreen. Uh, here's some other things about Cuba, and th- now we're going to start selling it. What was, okay. your, what was your slogan for them? Uh, fancy cars and food poisoning. Yeah. Well, how about this? It's compulsory. All school is compulsory, but, you know, up to the age of 16. OK. The school uniform you wear denotes what year you're in. Everyone wears oh, the same clever. school uniform. Everyone wears oh, the same clever. school uniform like in Cuba. That. It's good, isn't so it? So you can always go, oh, it's a couple of year tens, because you would know that that's their age, because that's They're, their uniform. Everyone wears the same school uniform, and it denotes what year you're in. And Cuba's literacy is the highest in the world. 99.8% literate. That's, that's, you've got to say, I mean, we are not allowed to comment on elections, but if the Communist Party get in it, 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 it it's all the better for school uniforms, if nothing else. Um, uh, uh, in, they only got Christmas in 1997. Come off it. <laughs> no, this may just be about Cuba, everyone. Maybe you join us on the next podcast. Uh, in 1997... Uh, what the, had they been doing up until... Well, just watching a scant well, while the rest of the Marxist-Leninists, you see. You oh, see that okay. as a day of production lost. Okay. Uh, so all of a sudden, we're leaning away from Cuba again. But the Pope came to visit him in 1997. So and brought a, Christmas with him as a gift. As a gift, the communist government said, "You know what? We're going to have Christmas again." Uh, so that's in their favour. Uh, there were no mobile phones in Cuba till 2008. That's your kind of place. In my kind of place, if I can get back there. And this, this is. Let's put some Cuban music on. Here we go. Hang on. Uh, by law. All government officials must pitch up, pick up a hitchhiker if they see one. Isn't that great? <laughs> what happened for that to become a law? Well, I don't know, but I'd stand on a road in Cuba with my thumb out just to... Hey, whoa, 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 I've seen that number play. Pull over, chum. <laughs> That's what they do. Uh, last thing I'll give you about Cuba here is uh, uh, that... Uh, um, 
they burn dolls on New Year's Eve. It's the tradition of it. You burn a doll on New Year's Eve. Look at your face. You burn a doll on New Year's Eve because uh, that means um, that no picking up hitchhikers. No, that's not it. I've written it down wrong, obviously. Yes, you, no, that's it. You burn, uh, you burn a doll to forget bad times. I may burn oh. about. I may burn about fifty Barbies this New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> Just to, I'm never going to be able to open that back door up wide enough and the front door up wide enough to usher out. Up in the loft, the girls' old collection. 2019. But there you are. There's Cuba, and hats off to him. And the only other things I'll tell you is uh, uh, that um, the first ever Nobel Prize went to Frederick Passy, P-A-S-S-Y, Passy. And guess what he was? A pacifist, although it's completely coincidental. Oh, I thought. It was a, there's the children's show they show in Cuba every day at 5 o'clock. Passy the pacifist. Passy the pacifist. <laughs> <laughs> if you think I'm making this up, I am not. The first uh, uh, Nobel Prize went to Passy the pacifist. <laughs> <laughs> you think the, the, it would be named after What's you, What's it no? called? Nominative... Uh, exactly. Something or other. Exactly. Uh, uh, yes. You, you and I, Baker and Pepper, you know, mm. there's, there's something in that. Anyway, uh, uh, welcome aboard, everybody, and, and the show starts any second now. What have you got over there? Pepper? Well, I'm going to give you a list of names. Oh, here we go. This is thanks to Kieran Finn on, mm-hmm. on Twitter, mm-hmm. who uh, followed up uh, something you did. So, Evangelos Paulakis, Paul Gowron... Robert Moon, Demart C. Besley, Joseph Brookshire, mm. William Weber, E. Robert Tellefson, mm. John Ray, Robert Blake. Were they um, all married to the same woman? They were. Aha! And they were married <laughs> to Bonnie Ble- Lee Blakely, Bate Backley, who was married to Glyn Wolfe. Oh, now, if, you, if this is the first one you've listened to, you have no idea how sensational that uh, last exchange was. So good was. work, Kieran, who went and did the research. So Glyn Wolfe was the most married man ever. Uh, yeah, he had married, he's married like 31 times. Not all at the same time. He wasn't a, a, a bigamist. He, he, he married loads of people, loads of women, lots of times. One of his said wives was Bonnie Lee Backley. And she married all those fellas. She married ten times. Now, and, and, and as this as was Kieran all... said, imagine their chat. Well, look, not in the, in the 1950s, when, you know, the world was barely born because it didn't have reality TV. Imagine what a show that had been. And just showing a clean pair of heels to the Kardashians. The... I'm, being, I'm being told before the show starts proper, we do have, uh, we do have the Cuban national anthem. Oh! Uh, uh... No, we don't. Sorry. Oh. The red herring all of a sudden. Give us something from over there, Pep. See how people have been in touch with us and, and welcome aboard. Shall I, the, shall I give the topics? Yes. OK. Uh, number one, surprising things seen in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Number two, restaurants with very limited menus. Mm-hmm. Number three, sad stories about your dolls and other toys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Burnt on New Year's Eve or otherwise. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling this microphone so no. sounding no. strange. Number four, things that have been stuck to your head. And number five, a reprise of... Don't talk to me about art. Now, the things that got stuck to your head uh, mm. may have withered on the vine because I forgot to tweet it out on uh, my, <laughs> my... I did, and I sent it across to the show's own one where it was completely ignored. So, um, but that, that's, a, that's a goer for next time. OK. Things that have managed to become stuck to your head, including the hair. We're going to have to... Do, how about this? Let me put the... Look, I promise you, the show starts any second now. Uh, where's my book? How about this? I only mentioned that because I was going to say it incorporates the hair if things mm-hmm. stuck to your head. Uh, where is it? Oh, here we go. Page 151. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, no, I ain't there. 151. Oh, you ripped it. Here we go. The Chuatara is a lizard native to New Zealand. No, oh, no, that ain't it. Oh, that's not it. That's the one with the, the eye on the top of its head. Oh. It's got a third eye. It's got a third eye on the top Ooh. of its head. Uh, here we go. Oh, this is it, the page 33. <laughs> See, people are not used to this programme, or used to uh, us. Let's put it, people not used to me uh, would think this is like yeah, eggy. Yeah, forgotten to edit it. They forgot to it. No, this, 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 this is, it's all in the detail. I could have gone straight to this, but I, I didn't. Here we go. The only place a naked mole rat has hair is inside its mouth. Oh, come off it. <laughs> True. A naked, a naked mole rat has, it's called naked mole rat for a reason. The only place... It has hair inside its mouth. Oh, that permanent feeling that of... Oh, hang on, I've got... <laughs> hang on, I just want... 
Oh, let me just... Uh, oh, hang on. I'll, they, I'll get it. Uh, when, when they kiss each other. Oh! Two mole rats. They're revolting. They're all ratty tongue going around. She's a hirsute gal. And, but there, how about that? Uh, let's think about that for a second. Mole rats have hair in their mouths. Uh, bring us something from over there, Peps. Uh, well, I'm going to read you an email, and then we've got a caller. But first, this is Matt in Manchester. This is Things in the Middle of Nowhere. Hi, Candyman and Peps. Me and my wife were on the tour of the Sahara Desert. Well done. A few years ago. Mm-hmm. Lengthy stretches of driving along roads surrounded by, frankly, nothing. Mm-hmm. One day, travelling along one such road, which speared straight ahead to the horizon, and both sides on it, mile upon mile upon mile of sand and rock, and no hint of life or civilization. And then, out of nowhere... A zebra crossing. No. Who or what this was put there for baffles me to this day. No. We were well over an hour from our last settlement and we didn't see humanity again for some time. My only thought is camels in this area are particularly safety conscious. He's put a little He's got a photograph of it as well. There is there is absolutely absolutely right. There is a zebra crossing in the middle of the desert. This is like close encounters of the third kind. No, that's an aircraft, isn't it, that turns up out of nowhere, not a zebra crossing. But uh, uh, this, let it be, suddenly the most... <laughs> is, Abbey Road, rather, is suddenly the second most famous uh, zebra crossing in the world. Abbey Road, let it be. I'll I never th- let you forget that. If there was a portal... Imagine, you're crossing Abbey mm-hmm. Road, you're doing that thing. That's where Paul went. He turned up... In the middle of the Sahara Desert. That's what the Desert. Magical Mystery Tour should have been. That is extraordinary. Here's our friend... Uh, uh, who's on the phone, by the way? Dave. It's our friend Dave. Hey, Dave. I'll take a sip and see while we're waiting for the machinery to click into place. Dave. If Dave doesn't turn up, it's fine. We can yak like this for months. No, Dave. No, Dave. No, no, no. Have you ever been to the desert? No, I haven't, actually. Never, never been to the desert. I've been to the desert. I went to uh, uh, Cairo. Ah, Cairo. Oh. So, uh, in Cairo is the ugliest place I've ever been in my life. I mean, when you go on oh, tour, a couple of trips, it before, really is. About you you it, picture the majesty it of is, the pyramids. It is the old Kemp Road forever. <laughs> it was just, it really was. Uh, it was just oh, the, how depressing. Cairo itself is closing down. Oh, it's not going out of business. Cairo... They're abandoning it as the capital of Egypt. This is absolutely true. And they're building a new capital about 30 miles away. Uh, and it's called something like the 13th of October. That's what it's going to be called. <laughs> I know you think we make this stuff up. We don't. Uh, have a look. Because that's their um, big day. OK. Right. And they're calling it after the, their big day. Uh, I know, I, know I, should, I should know more about that. But it's, it's uh, the 13th of October is going to be the new... We're going to live in a world where the answer to the question, what's the capital of Egypt, is the 13th of October. <laughs> We couldn't be happier. But when you go out to the pyramids, everyone says, you know, they always do the shot towards the pyramids, of course, because if you turn around, there's Pizza Hut and everything. There really is. Anyone who's ever been there knows within 50 yards of the pyramids and the Sphinx, there's, you know, the carpet shops. But the thing is about the desert, I thought it'd be piles of loose sand. Mm. It's not. It's a thin... Around there it is. It's 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 it, you know you've got more topsoil in your garden than anywhere else there, perhaps. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, if, if we get Dave back, we'll uh, let me try this one here. Oh, you you were you were on the precipice of telling us the Margaret Princess Margaret's fur coat story. Oh, yeah. At the end of the last oh, one, if that's okay. still around. We can do it. Is Dave gone? We're not got any Daves, have we? Okay, it doesn't matter. Here we go. So, yes, we did end, that's just remembering now, somewhere. we did end last time uh, with uh, wearing Princess Margaret's coat, and I said we were going to start this show with it. And as soon as I locate that, I'll go. You see, we didn't do an okay up to show five. It's been pretty what fluid. Oh, well done, Peps. See, this, it, it, a life lesson. And I've always said this, and I hope these days it's not seen as, a, as any kind of a outrage to say, but the great thing about women is they f- can find things. <laughs> when you can find anything. You know, she loses her own stuff, but my stuff, I can oh, mention anything. A, there's a great pleasure in going, what, what, right here? But, but she was, I can't find, what, what this? That's but, but, right I, here? So when, when women had plastic hypodermic needle I had when I was five in my doctor's kit that I showed you about six years ago, yellow and red it was. Do you remember? It was a little plastic thing. Where is it? She goes, you go into Twizzle's room and it's on the, uh, in the second drawer down. She can do that. By the way, we do have a Twizzle's room oh. in our house. Welcome aboard, everyone. Here we go. This is now uh, going to be um, a story we should have started the show with. Actually, edit everything we've done so far. We'll come right in on this. <laughs> right, OK. <clears throat> this is from our good friend Mark. 
Back in the 1990s, I played drums in a band that was booked to play a function at the Royal Ballet in Birmingham. The function was a post-ballet dinner. Ooh, okay. Post-ballet dinner where the guests of honour was Her Royal Highness Princess Margaret. We arrived in good time and set up our equipment and were ushered to a side room where we were told we could change and, more importantly, to remain and not wander around until we were called. The staff and managers were clearly stressed at the prospect of Her Majesty attending and a general feeling of worry and tension could be felt throughout the building. <laughs> you, you've met royalty, have you? Uh, yes. Have you? How'd that go? It was all right. It was only in passing. Was it? It was Prince Andrew. So was it really? Yes. Uh, you passed. Uh, I met Prince Edward. <laughs> no, I, didn't. I can imagine you two not having a great deal in common. He looked like he. he I was talking Swahili. Uh, I mean, I've met all I've met most of the royal family by one way or the other, believe it or not. He looked like I remember his eyes were like, "What is he saying? What is he saying? He's, he's not calling me sir for a start." Uh, I, was, I was halfway through a story, and he wandered over to this company I was in, and kind of hovered with this other fella. I said, "Come in, make room, make room. I'll, I'll bring you up to date." And I brought him up to date on the story, and then continued telling it. But I was directing it towards him, and he had that royal smile on, and his eyes were like, "I've I've never heard anything like this." <laughs> But we're both of the theatre. I do apologise, Mark, we've drifted from your thing here. Tension could be felt throughout the building. Okay. When the royal entourage arrived, we could hear the bustle of staff outside our room and I opened the door just enough to spy Princess Margaret walking by in her fur coat. (gasps) Full-length fur coat. Shortly after, one of the ballet staff burst into our room with an armful of coats and hung them on the clothes rail before rushing out again. Amongst all those coats was that same luxurious and expensive fur. (laughs) By now, we've been sat in our dressing room for a couple of hours and, yeah, boredom had well and truly set in. So one by one, we all tried on the fur coat and paraded around doing the royal way. (laughs) At this time in the band's history, we had a daft game involving, don't ask why, hiding a raw potato in each other's instrument case after gigs and at rehearsals. And it was a great source of amusement for us. You'll have to trust me on that. Especially if it was hidden in the bell of the saxophonist saxophone. (laughs) Now, see this, on the road you find things to do. This who's got the potato sounds like a, a, a good game. Anyway, this had been going on for a few weeks, and by now the potato was getting a bit shriveled and starting to smell musty. And one of us decided it would be hilarious to put it in the pocket of Princess Margaret's fur coat. Initially, we thought it was a brilliant jape, but as the evening went on, one of the ballet staff members came in, still stressed, to tell us we'd be required on stage in 20 minutes and that Her Royal Highness was in a particularly foul mood and so had requested she didn't want to hear anything loud. (laughs) They were our quiet hits. At at this, our bravado fell, and with words like treason being bounded around, one of us took the potato out and laid it on the table. We went on stage and played a light dinner jazz for Her Royal Highness and the guests, and they solemnly ate their dinner until the meal ended, and Margaret stood and began to leave the table. By this point, I was glad we'd taken the potato out of her pocket. The air of tension in the room was so intense, there's no way she had seen the funny side of that. (laughs) We... We saw the manager come out of the side room holding the fur coat, at which point our French double bass player leant towards me and said, I put the potato back <gasps> in. <laughs> nodding, French. Nodding, it, French. nodding in the direction of Her Royal Highness. My jaw dropped and immediately I shot my gaze over to Princess, Princess Margaret's lady-in-waiting, put the coat over the princess's shoulders. Was that a bulge in the pocket? Can you get fingerprints from a potato? Thoughts of the tower rang through my head. Uh, Luckily, the French bass player said he'd only been joking and then shook his head. No, he wasn't. So, wearing a famous person's coat, yes, but I think there's a little more to the story. Boy, that's an absolutely superb one. Anybody else, and this is a long shot, but this show is based on long shots and therein lies the the beauty of it. Anyone else who's ever put a potato in a famous person's pocket, particularly a member of the royal family, do let us know. It's a that's a great story, Who's ain't that? it? That's from our friend Mark. Is he sapworthy? Yes. Yep. Yes, well done. Sap Pep. number three. Sap number three. Yeah. And also Katie, uh, who got in touch uh, uh, the other week. Katie's sap number four. Okay. So now we're, we're getting through these very, very... They'll be uh, gone without... Uh, listen to this. Um, you've got the... Um, uh, with you, have you the... Uh, uh, not the, the lady not the tortoise, that's it. By the, the way, we bird. do have a... We've ditched Dave. We've got Philip on the okay, line. OK, let's I'm go sure with Philip. Okay. Hey, Philip. Philip. 
You see, say what you like about the old BBC. Maybe it's Prince Philip. Say, and the Royal say, what, you, put say what you like about the old BBC. Only two in every four calls went down. Here we're batting two for two now. Uh, but it's it's if you know if, if you're finding this wearing, then by all means move along to another great product from something else. The Fred and Rose West tapes. Uh, give us something from over there, Peps. What you got? Okay. So, well, were you do you want to do the? Yeah, do the ladybird. Okay. Should we try them again? This is, uh, if you've not heard the show before, it doesn't matter. This is, try it again, Peps. So, uh, Wilbur's Ladybirds. Go on, Peps, we'll give it a go over there. So, uh, some time ago, um, I noticed that uh, Wilbur's toy Ladybird yeah. uh, was losing its battery power. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I heard how it sounded, I thought of you. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we revived him last week and then he passed away live on, on the air. air. They died on the air, yes, he did. And you gave him a wonderful eulogy, mm-hmm. um, except he came back to life. Yes, he did. So last week he gave it another shot, uh-huh. and I'm just we just might give him a, just one more try this week. Okay, what happens is we don't know whether this ladybird is live, or whether like a cat, it uh, lets itself out at night, or but um, uh, we're going to try them live again to see if there's any. The batteries have suddenly come. If you put battery in a pyramid, I don't know if you know this. Talking about Cairo, you know they rejuvenate, or is that? It is. Somebody get in touch and tell us how this works. You put a battery. In a, under any kind of pyramid shape. No, it's razor blades. What? You put a, a blunt razor blade. Uh, this is absolutely true. You get you get a. Not that anyone has razor blades anymore. Wilkinson razor blade. Uh, at school, somebody told me this. They said if you get a razor blade and you put it under any kind of pyramid structure, if it's a blunt razor blade, in the morning you'd be out. It's the sharpest blade in the world. We did it. And it worked. No. Would well, you remember I talked about throwing the egg over a house? Yes. You're no. Throwing, no. You yes. throw an egg over I, a house, I, I it won't break. I've smirched you before. Uh, been but, wrong. Well, I'm telling you that that's the th- anyway. Tr- try Wilbur. See if he's awake. Yes. Yes. He's back. <laughs> How does? Let's try another tune. Uh-huh. That's stronger than ever. Where, he, in that. where has he been uh, in the meantime? In a, in a box in Wilbur's bedroom. Does it have a pyramid-shaped roof? <laughs> the, the bedroom. I mean, you, you don't live in some kind of ziggurat, do you? Oh, well, he's fine. Yeah. He's fine. What what old, he's a old, sham. What an old sandbagger. Uh, he, he, oh. uh, what does that mean? That was, that was meant to be... It was meant to soothe him to sleep. That was meant to be running water, but... That was, that was very good. I've got a little... Uh, what we uh, try and connect to the outside world in there. Uh, this is a Christmas card. It was sent to us at the BBC. Oh, it's beautiful, ain't it? It's sort 90, of 50s, is it? 1950s, or? and it's got a little piano on the front, and the batteries... This is uh, 60-year-old batteries in this, and if we go here, hang on. Now, we've, we've got a phone number. If you want to ring this phone number up Ooh. and leave uh, a message uh, or, or a dying toy... Here we go. This is the phone number. Here we go. To telephone the show. Please call the exchange on this number. You'd love to my dear. Who'd love to Give us a call. Thank you very much indeed. That's our friend Wisby doing that. Uh, give us something over there, Peps, and then we'll, we'll bring this fiasco to a close, I think. So this yeah. is Chris, who has brought one of your favourite jokes to life. OK, go on. About a year ago, I was privileged enough to be invited to a fundraising gala event for the Canada Special Olympics team here in Toronto. Brackets, it's better to run to Toronto, etc. Yes. I found myself seated next to Adam Van Kerverden, who'd won multiple Olympic medals in kayaking, spanning four Olympic Games. He'd nominated, he'd been nominated to carry the flag on two occasions, etc., etc. He's since become an elected federal politician. We chatted about various things, but to be perfectly honest, I found him a bit dull and standoffish <laughs> and didn't have much of a sense of humour. I couldn't help myself and I drew the conversation in a certain direction. Me. So all those years in training, you couldn't kayak in Canada during the winter months. Where did you go? Adam. Well, mostly Florida, sometimes California. Bit tricky because if you bring your own kayaks, by other times you have to make do with what they've got there. Me. So when did you normally head south, Adam? Uh, November? Sometimes earlier? Ah, so I guess it's true what they say then, Adam. What do you mean? 
What did I say? It was then that I said... Come on. ..that you can't have your kayak and heat it too. Yeah, one of my favourite jokes brought to life. You got a chance to do it. That's a beautiful subject if we do that. Actual jokes you've had a chance to uh, bring to, to the flesh. You can't have your kayak and heat it. Go on. There was an awkward silence. <laughs> Me... <laughs> You've, you've, you've heard that a lot of times before, haven't you, Adam? No, I can honestly say I have never heard that before. And he had a stone face like Mount Rushmore. <laughs> he said it was really great, but was completely dry and stone-faced, and I don't know if he loved it or was dripping with disdain and sarcasm. Well, but why wouldn't you embrace that joke? You're a kayaker, you hear the great line about you can't have your kayak and heat it, and you, and, and you so that's, that's that, that old sourpuss. This is uh, from our friend Anthony. Uh, this is a tale of hard pets. <laughs> not, not a subject we've thrown out there, but who cares? As long as you join us on the treehouse, that's all we ask. Occasionally a phone call, maybe. Uh, we, we, we have got one after this. We haven't got We may as well hold hands and try to join the afterlife. There isn't. Perhaps tear up this piece of paper over here, put the alphabet around the table, turn a glass upside down. That's the only way we can get in touch with anyone out there. Uh, the old Ouija board. That's the only way we can do it. Uh, Ouija. Uh, right. It says Ouija. Yes, yes. Mm. French and German. Oh, right. no. Well, look at your... Look, look, well, of course. What do you mean? Look at your face. I just thought it was a made-up sort of we? spiritual yeah. word. We are. Why don't we call it a Ouija board, then? Well, apparently people do, but uh, we do the hard J around here. Uh, Ouija board, did you, not, did you not know that? No. Yes, we. Yeah. In fact, I saw something once saying, well, that's not necessarily... Well, of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Yes, yes, in German and French. Um, uh, and I promise, we've got a caller because we can try Yeah, it. we have got Philip. Otherwise, I'll tell you my Ouija board story. Anyone's got any Ouija board stories? Matthew, have you ever done a Ouija board? No, you said I couldn't. No, I did. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's here. I've heard that shit. No, you said I couldn't. Yeah, but that was when you were about four. You're 21 now. <laughs> You're outside my jury. Jurisdiction. If you want to open a portal to another dimension, who's here? Is it Philip? No. <laughs> oh man! You know what? Uh, I said on the first show, this is just a demo, <laughs> and we're going to soon do a prototype. Let this be the prototype. <clears throat> like the, the great goose, uh, it'll never fly again. Uh, so here's something I'm going to bring you about um, hard pets. Here we go again. Uh, let's put some. Let's put some music that might work. Okay. Uh, this is from uh, Anthony. I've had two hard pets. We never asked for hard pets. No. Okay, that's a matter. I was walking a, a dog, an Alaskan Mamalute. Mamalute. Mamalute, isn't that what Mamalute. Joey Pesky calls someone in good in Goodfellas? That's a Mamalute. Anyway, I was walking our dog, an Alaskan Mamalute, husky cross, 110 pounds of muscle and bone. We, we called him Bear. Why's a dog called Bear? Our dog's called Bear. One of our dogs is called Bear. Uh, OK, I've been shown a photograph of one now. OK. He needs a good walk, so I'm out with him early in the morning, usually about 5.30am. One day, I saw a dead rat in the road, but Bear didn't see it. For three days, we walked past this dead rat, and not a flicker from Bear. On the fourth day, Bear jumps into the road to get the rat and is promptly hit by a Toyota going about 40 miles an hour. No! Bear was on a lead, but it got him. Bear got away with a bloodshot eye and possibly a dislocated toe. The car, on the other hand, had the front end smashed in, causing about £2,000 worth of damage that I think we got for pet insurance. Bear was fine. He walked home with no problems at all, walked on for miles after being hit by a car. <laughs> Hard pet number two was our hamster. A hateful little thing. Oh! <laughs> he just put that in brackets after it. But pet two... It was hard, it was a hamster, a hateful little thing. We kept it in our little bedroom. Ah, oh, little bedroom, yeah, everyone's got the little bedroom. Uh, we kept it in our little bedroom. Uh, during a cold winter, my wife called me to say that the hamster was dead. I told her it wasn't, it was probably hibernating due to the cold weather. And she said, no, it's dead. Uh, when I got home, the cage was cleaned out and the hamster was in the bin. Oh, this is rotten, oh. this is rotten. You don't put pets in the bin. No. You don't put pets in the you bin, a proper burial. That's the whole basis of the book Pet Cemetery, surely. It's not called Pet Bin. No mystery in that. And now on BBC Two, Stephen King's Pet Bin. <laughs> Episode three. That swing lid's coming off. Uh, oh, by the way, listen to this. Listen to the children talking backwards. Listen. 
Any phone calls? We don't I was going to say, that's we, our phone line, isn't it? We don't need no stinking phone calls. Here we go. Today's show would have broken a lesser presenter, as you know that, don't you? <laughs> Uh, anyway, she uh, said he was dead, and she cleaned out the cage and put the hamster in the bin. Oh. I don't, uh, uh, I don't think my sister ever listens to this, but it's very my sister, that. Hamster's dead, right, clean the cage out, put that out for the dustman and the hamster in the bin. She's very efficient. She's extremely efficient. Are you like that? No, not at all. It'd still be there. Yeah, I mean... I'll get round to getting rid of that dead hamster soon. No, we, we, we have to call everyone in the front room, break the news gently, and then there's a period of mourning, and then he's laid out, and then there's a proper ceremony in the garden. For Even like, you know, I remember uh, Sonny, when he was little, had a grasshopper. We went, it literally was four days of mourning for it. We had black crepe all over the front door when he went... But not this hamster. It's put in the bin. Two days later, with snow on the ground, my wife had to get something out of the bin she'd put in there by mistake. Guess who popped back out again? <laughs> he lived for two days in the bin. Lovely. And there Snug. is a... Oh, plenty of food in there. He must have thought, this is a lovely new cage they got us. It's warmer than the other place. I can tunnel everywhere. I, I keep tipping beautiful old tomatoes and things on me. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> That's a great story. That was uh, sent from our friend Anthony. Let's uh, over there, Peps, and we may wrap this fiasco up. This is from Barry in Grey's. <laughs> And the subject you half threw out about doing a runner, mm-hmm. it reminded me of something that happened in the early 80s when my dad, Terry, was a rep for Radio Rentals in Bethnal Green. Uh-huh. During the summer holidays, he'd take us along for the ride with a treat of a cafe lunch thrown in. Mm-hmm. One particular day, he took my cousin Lee, who was 14 at the time, and at lunch they stopped in an East End cafe. <laughs> Towards the end of the meal, my dad looked at Lee and said, I've got no money. Lee, who was a bit of a lad, let's say, said, Ooh, what's the plan? Dad said, when I get to the counter... I'll give you a nod, you will leg it. As they approached the till, my dad duly nodded to Lee, who took off like a scalded cat out of the cafe and belted off down the road. In the meantime, Terry calmly paid for the meal. And when the lady behind the counter said, What's the matter with him? My dad said, No idea. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like after your, your dad's own heart, that is. When my dad caught up with him in the van a few minutes later, he was still running. And th- that is a beautiful twist upon it there. I never <laughs> thought of doing that when my mates all did it, because I hated it, as I said in, in one of the other shows. I hated runners. And when they'd all look at each other and say, ready? Uh, oh. I should have just got up and paid and then <laughs> sat back down again and said, now what are you going to do? <laughs> but just to see them all run out for absolutely no reason. Uh, here's a, a thing about um, uh, born in neither home nor hospital. Mm. This is a... You were born in... Hospital. I was born at home. Yes. Um, Over the years, we've had people who were born uh, on underground stations, uh, on all manner of public transport. And any time you can bring us a story of uh, people born in notable places, I'd love to... um, People don't believe I was born at home, but that, that was quite common. Not... You know, How very don't tell the midwife. Or I know, it's I know, but it's, it's not. Um, it wasn't like a birthing pool, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's just that you did. The midwife used to come round when we had a properly funded NHS, and that's going to have to be embargoed till after the election. When Fidel races to power and kids are walking around in school uniforms denoting their year, which was on the BBC now. <laughs> when Fidel, when Fidel could come to power, because the be as we know, and God love them, and nothing if not a hotbed of pinkos and trots. Oh, I forget you still work there, don't you? <laughs> Peps is shaking her head and disassociating herself from the presenter here. Here we go. <clears throat> so here we go. This is uh, from our friend Jim. This is about my late dad, Bob Bowman. He was born 18th July 1941 in Blackpool. My grandparents lived in Salford, but due to the bombing of the docks, my granddad moved my nan off to Blackpool, nearing the time of the birth of safety. When the time came, she introduced my dad to the world via a hotel on the Blackpool seafront. Nice. The landlady coming up probably helped out. I don't know, I'm adding that bit. He said, anyway, his birthplace no longer exists, but you may recall a certain Graham Nash of the Hollies and Crosby, Stills and Nash fame. He was also born in Blackpool the year afterward. Oh, this is getting good. My granddad always maintained that they were related, but never said how. Anyway, uh, following Dad's passing, I did the family tree thing, and lo and behold, up pops Mr Graham Nash. No! 
Oh, Marrakesh Express himself. Uh, uh, Graham Nash, yes, uh, uh, it says here, it turns out I am related to him. My dad's great-aunt Sarah married Bernard Nash, who is Graham's great-uncle, making me the grand-nephew of the husband of my second great-aunt. Now, if anyone else has a more distant celebrity <laughs> relation you never knew of is still alive, uh, please. Excellent. Thank you, Jim. How about that? I mean, people think only bums and no good nicks listen to this show, but we have the uh, second married grandnephew of the great-aunt of Graham Nash as one of our listeners. Same from there, Peps. Uh, oh, wait, I lost my one. Oh, man, come on, it's bad enough with the phones. Don't you start. Here we go. Go on. Where's it gone? I'm not going to help you. I'm just going to sit over here. I've, I've, I've earned my corn. I've done my 16 tonnes over here. See, it's the BBC training against me, who's turfed out again. This is Smallest Audiences from Chris in Sydney, Australia. Mm-hmm. He put a phone number on the bottom. Why didn't we give him a ring? <laughs> well, hang on. It's show five and we're already turning on the management. Well, we <laughs> have got Phil the caller. Do you want him? No, no, I don't, because I'm going to say, Phil, are you there? And then there'll be nothing but egg all over our faces. I'll give it a go. Phil? I'm here. Danny and Lou, hello. <laughs> oh, Phil, honestly, uh, you know those poor kids uh, in Thailand who were locked underground and they sent over down there at football team for like six months? Well, that's a lot of fuss about nothing compared to sitting in the studio today. You're out there. We're here. What about me? We're, we're hearing a voice from the outside world. You don't know how refreshing it is. <laughs> Tell me, does the sun still turn on the earth? Who won the election? Uh, what news from the front? Uh, uh, the book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Phil. Uh, just when I was about to lose all hope, it turns out there's always a Phil. What do you have for us, my friend? Well, I was so bad at art. Ah, that, but, um, I, blew up, I blew up the kiln. Go on, my friend. Ooh, this sounds well, tremendous. The, the contents of... I mean, this is just the preamble, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. I, I, my ashtray that I was making for my parents had too much air in it and I blew up everything else that was in the kiln. Yeah, no. So uh, no, no, the, it's not a good start with the art. No, but the, the, here's the thing. Um, uh, people were wondering why we didn't react to the idea that you made ashtrays <laughs> in schools. But you, you did. <laughs> you did, and, and all of us agree on that. And Was it any good? Because I, I attempted it. The only thing I've ever made in pottery uh, was an ashtray. That was terrible. It was awful. Yeah. Uh, just all sort of thumb marks on it, and it was, yeah. it was terrible. But my dad gave me an ashtray when I was 14. Did he? He said, you know, You're gonna need I'm fed this. up with you chucking your, chucking your fag ends out your bedroom window. You might as well have an ashtray. See, I, 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 and, uh, I, I, welcome I, to the wonderful world of smoking. I, 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 I never... Uh, smoked all my uh, pretty much all my family part. Me and my sister did, and uh, 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 but I found a packet of cigarettes on the street once, and I really did. I found a, they were guards. I don't feel I don't remember mm-hmm. guards cigarettes. Oh, and, I yeah, yeah, I was about eleven, and they were still sealed. Somebody had obviously bought them and and walked outside and and, and forgot about them and gone, and uh, dropped out their pocket. And I found them on the pavement. I thought, oh, I know my mum smokes Benson and Edges, but I took them home for her. I put them in my blazer thing and I went home. Anyway, I met Tommy Hodges on the way, so we're going over to the park to play. Stay with this, Phil. You're the only caller we've got. So I met Tommy Hodges <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, uh, uh, he said, we're going over the park. I said, oh, great. I'll just go and change. I went over the park, played football, came back, and my mum was standing in the passage. Who are you? What's these in your pocket? Oh. And I said, Mum, I found them. I know you didn't. No. I said, I brought them home for you, Mum. I just went, no, you didn't. Listen, if I tell your father, don't you go... I never smoked, Phil. Oh. Don't bring up memories like this for me, Phil, if you're calling in. What? Danny, at least you didn't get caned across the palm of the hand for it. I think you came for the... Like in Kez. Oh, oh, of course, a little kid, they give all their... But I think that kid got off lightly because the opprobrium (laughs) of my parents, in a perfectly... I felt like um, uh, the fugitive... You know the fugitive. Mm. He, he didn't do it. The one-armed man did it. Oh, yeah. And I, I tried to blame mm. it. I tried to blame it on the one-armed man. Mum wasn't having it. So uh, you blew up the kiln. <laughs> you blew up a kiln. Well, the contents. All, all my schoolmates work when, <laughs> when the kingdom come because I was a bit careless, which is apparently the air bubbles. Uh, they say. And when you say um, blew I got the, the blame anyway. Because you did it. That's why. <laughs> uh, uh, and, 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 and when you say you blew up, how many pieces went? Do you think? I don't know, how many kids in a class? 30? 30, 30 pieces? Oh, this was, I would love to have heard it. This was did, just the start. Oh. I mean, this, was not, this is not the, 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 the meat of the story, really. I'll, I'll, I'll be the judge the of that. <laughs> but go on, my friend. Continue. <laughs> continue. continue so, then. 1974. Mm-hmm. 
and it's uh, we're third year comprehensive school and we've got to create a poster for an advertising campaign or, or a worthy cause okay okay an art club mm-hmm. so we you know nobody's particularly great but there's always a couple of kids who are pretty good mm. and they can do you know little cartoons of Mickey Mouse and, and uh, whatever mm. and I still don't get how they did it my, my wife is very good she, she can paint and everything but really? I still don't I don't get the perspective and all of that stuff so. no I mean the, 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 when these, my, progr- these programs come on uh, Pepsi's good her, uh, her parents were the Gainsboroughs uh, <laughs> and uh, 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 but uh, I don't you, you, all these programs that come on and say we're going to teach you how to paint we're going to teach you how to cook sometimes you just can't not everyone can do everything so uh, uh, so there it is you made yeah. a poster did you so yeah well I tried so there's one kid hmm. I'm there in the first place and I think well I can't think of anything that I can realise hmm. that I can put down on paper mm-hmm. you know cost and spreeders snake diseases or something you know mm-hmm. or drink a pint of milk a day Hmm. So there's one kid and he's doing a, a band the bomb picture hmm. and there's a big hand coming up from this cityscape to snatch a falling bomb and it's fantastic. Oh. You know. yeah. And I'm looking at that thinking, well, I can't compete with this yeah. and I still can't think of anything I can, I can draw hmm. that is going to get my message across, whatever my message be, you know. Hmm. You get to the second lesson, I've done nothing <laughs> and I'm still looking at this blank sheet thinking, oh, well, I'm thinking, you know, I'm just looking for inspiration and, and now I'm no good. I'm still no, not only no good, I'm two weeks behind the kid, the band the bomb kid. The band the bomb kid. Who's got something now that looks, the band the bomb kid. Who, he looks like he's storyboarding for Ridley Scott, you know, he's got this fantastic <laughs> the whole thing going on, it's alive. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I'm nothing. Uh, and, 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 yeah. and what did you eventually come up with, anything? Well, the teacher said to me, look, <laughs> probably, you know, dying inside. Yeah. Do you like music? Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, I've got LP. And that was the last one you bought, she said. I said, well, it was uh, Burned by Deep Purple. Well done. Oh, any good? Any good? I said, well, it's all right. It's not as good as Machine Head. Yeah. But I guess, what about the cover? I said, well, it's the group had done up like candles, candles and all their heads are on fire. And they are melting. She said, well, yeah, that's it, that's it. And she said, well, just copy it. Just, why don't you just draw that? Yeah. So I didn't do the whole thing. Yeah. I did Richie Blackmore in a hat, yeah. engulfed in flames. Did Richie Blackmore with his hat which, on fire? Okay. Yeah. Yes, which, you know, I know he's talking about I just want to pause you there for a second. Could we subtitle this show on the thing, Richie Blackmore with his hat on fire? Thank you. That, this show is now, now called that. Yeah, continue. <laughs> Which I think, in hindsight, the rest of the band would have approved of. Mm-hmm. Given, you know, we've got thirty, we've got thirty, we've got thirty seconds to the news, <laughs> yes. so we're going to have to do this. Go on. Okay, mate. Well, my picture of Richie Blackmore in a hat looked like Guy Fawkes right after the bonfire. Yeah, yeah. And and did you yeah. win? And you won the prize. Oh, you went in the bin, I think, straight afterwards. Oh, did it? Oh, like I, think I think I, I would have been better off copying one of Dylan's, I think. <laughs> now, Dylan can't paint. Up to a point, neither, exactly. can, neither can Joni Mitchell or any of them rock stars that do their own covers. Well, uh, I know. If I'd just done his thing from the, the, the band album, I'd have been fine. Well, you know, my he, friend, we're, we're literally going to have to lose it there because the switchboard is lit up. Uh, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> uh, uh, friend, uh, uh, and, you know, it's all right. As long as the technology is working, that's all we need. But I'll tell you, before we go, I'm going to do a... Um, and we will be out of your way in a minute. Uh, we will be right out of your way in a minute. I'm going to bring you a, a, a couple of things. That, um, we haven't done enough emails. That's the trouble. Uh, and this is from Claire. Thank you very much indeed, Claire. Uh, this is Mental Scars Caused by Pop Records, Peps. Oh, OK. OK. While I do not bear any physical scar from Bell and Sebastian's If You're Feeling Sinister, to this day I cannot hear it without wincing and curling up in fetal position. In the summer of 96, I was the proud owner of a 900cc Ford Fiesta. For my birthday that year, my mum and dad had gifted me a CD player for the car. And thus, as my age demanded, I cruised the streets of Gornal, blasting my superior taste in music at deafening levels to anyone who was at street level. Unfortunately, one night, my car was the victim of a crime. Some people had broke into it and tried to separate the CD player from the car. While they were not successful in their endeavour, they did succeed in jamming the Bell and Sebastian CD in the slot and fixing the volume at maximum. It could not be turned down again. 
It was three days before I could get it fixed. <laughs> so for all of those three days, I had the soothing tones blasting at me day and night, morning to noon, all the way through, whether I wanted it on or not. To this day, if I hear it, I instinctively reach for the volume. As a side note, I pride myself on the amount of CDs I had in the car. The thieves had removed all of them from the glove box, gone through them to see what was there and left every single one of them. Uh, that is a great subject, by the way, what thieves will not take. Uh, so, we're, listen, today's show, yes, it's been all over the place uh, and not in a good way. Uh, it, not in a good way. It's, uh, but nevertheless, we, we managed to get to the end. And before we do, I want to bring you just a, a little tiny, um, a little tiny thank you. So here we go. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession. On the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. Always do, Wisby. Uh, what's the deal you've got to give us from over there? What information have you got for us, Caps? Well, we've had the number from Wisby, so I won't do mm. that again. But email thetreehouse at somethingelse.com, Twitter, thetreehousepod, and Instagram at thetreehousepod. You may as well do the phone number. Okay. Who knows? And next time we may re- you know, we may be swamped with calls. <laughs> Actually, it probably wasn't the caller's fault. It's, uh, we've had, uh, I believe, the cliches, the gremlins and all of that. Oh, Go yes. On. Yeah. Oh, to 07-250-5686. Leads are dying toys there. Uh, we, we're going to get mm. the sausage sandwich game. Imagine that that's going to be when you need three phone lines <laughs> for that. But we're going to do that uh, and we'll be back with you at the weekend. In the meantime, thank you very much indeed, of course, uh, to uh, Louise Pepper on the other side of the table. From Tough Love. And, uh, and, I mean, there's Phil Wilding out there. Yeah, I'll, I'll give name to the beast. <laughs> It's Phil Wilding. His palette is Bible black. He thinks the show's too cheerful. Uh, And everybody over here at something else. But as always, chiefly yourselves. warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away in the dream. Take it away, Danny! Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.